And welcome to the Four Point Plan. This is episode four. This is the one you've been waiting for. <laughs> and today we are recording today on Groundhog's Day. Uh, I know you missed us and you can't wait to hear more about the Four Point Plan, the plan that is here to save your life. My name is J.R. Roberts. I am a counselor and a drug and alcohol counselor in Los Angeles, California. And I have developed this plan that will help you stay sober and change your life and save your life. I am excited to share all my ideas with you. And today I am joined as ever by my faithful co-hosts, the smart and intelligent. Kevin. And to be honest, I don't know how faithful I am, but I am definitely smart. <laughs> you know, they say you can't be too dumb, but you can be too smart. So That is true. I, uh, I spoke at an AA meeting this morning. It was exciting. Uh, I went back to uh, my NA meeting where I got my first day clean uh, for the last couple weeks. And uh, I took a commitment, which we will talk about for sure. Um, let's uh, let's do a rundown real quick of the four-point plan. Number one, 90 and 90. You need to attend 90 meetings in 90 days. It's super important that you get in the habit of attending meetings daily because meetings are the first step, the first point of the four-point plan that saves your life. Number two, get a sponsor and use him. Call him. Uh, a sponsor is someone that can teach you how to go through the 12 steps. He can also teach you how to get sober, get clean, stay clean. So you're going to need a sponsor number three, which we will talk about today extensively. It's called Get a Home Group. A home group is a meeting that you attend regularly every week. You never miss it. If you miss it, people are going to miss you because that's where you belong. It's your home group. And the last point of the four-point plan is to get a commitment. This is not, oh, well, I'm committed to going to the meeting. No. A commitment means that you will be of service to that meeting. You will no longer be a bystander. You will be a participant in helping people stay clean and sober. You will make coffee. You will set up chairs. You will pass out literature. You will do things uh, of service to the meeting or to the area or to the region. And like I said, we've got a, another episode coming up soon about the commitment part. But today, you know what today is, Kevin? Home groups. Yeah, we're going to talk about the home group. Should you be committed to your home group? Well, you know, it's good to have commitments at, at more than one meeting. So uh, a good place to get a commitment is at your home group because you're going to be there every week. And a commitment requires you to uh, be there to do it. So let's talk about the home group. Uh, I have lots of stories about my home group because I love it. Uh, initially I had the same home group for my first nine years sober. Uh, I didn't change it. Well, okay. Okay. I can't say that. All right. Let's talk about the home group. The home group is sometimes dependent upon your schedule, whether it's your work schedule, your school schedule, your family schedule. You're going to want to make sure that you pick a home group on a night that you have some freedom to attend every week. Um, also may be based on geography, right? Like if I live in Ohio, I can't have a home group in California. <laughs> you want it to be probably somewhere close that you can make to every week. I live in Northridge and my home group is in Canoga Park. And those two cities are five minutes apart. So I am not going to miss my home group. Um, 
I just uh, I just got a commitment there, uh, recommitted to my home group. I let them know. You don't want to have a secret home group. You don't want to say, oh, yeah, I have a home group. Well, where is it? Oh, it's at the Valley Club. Oh, okay, so your home group's at the Valley Club. Uh, which one is it? And what time? What day? Oh, uh, Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Fantastic. Do they know? Well, what do you mean, do they know? Well, here's what I'm saying. You can't have a secret home group. If you're going to be a home group member, you go to the, the secretary of the meeting and you let them know, hey, this is my home group. I will be here every week. You might even want to share at the meeting level. Hi, my name's JR. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. And I just want everybody to know this is my home group. I know it sounds a little bit silly, but it matters. It matters to the people there. The people that are home group members in my home group are people that I love and care about and keep an eye on and have a special interest in. I want to know that my home group members are staying sober and, and staying clean and, and coming to the meeting regularly. And if they're not there, this might sound awful to me. Maybe I'm an asshole. Well, there's no maybe about that. But maybe I'm a bad person because if I don't see you at my home group and you're a home group member, my first thought is, oh, you're out there getting high. You're out there getting drunk. You're out there smoking crack. So I actually just got a home group uh, again. You had a home group before. Yeah, I've been homeless for like a little while now, though. How long? I don't know, maybe uh, a month or so. So what happened was I started going to the gym in the morning because I wasn't hitting enough meetings. Uh, you know, so I had to, uh, you know, I, I had to go to the gym every day after work. And that didn't leave a lot of time for meetings. So I'm like, I got to move my schedule around. I started going to the gym at five in the morning instead of after work. And uh, my home group was at, it started at 8.30 and ended at 9.30. And with my new schedule, that's just too freaking late for me. So I was reluctant, but I ended up finding a home group. And actually, we can do this here on the podcast. I am now the secretary of my home group. And I would like you to come out and lead it on February 25th. Or sorry, March 25th. March 25th. Let's no, sorry, uh, go Feb on my calendar. I meant February. February 25th. I'll go on my calendar. What time is the meeting? It is at 7 o'clock. I'm sorry. I am not available. I will be in class until 7 o'clock. Ah, when is your spring break? Let's see. I am looking at my calendar, and it looks like my Tuesdays are locked up until... April 14th. I have you in the calendar for April 14th. Nice. My first day off in months, and I am now committed. <laughs> <laughs> Speak and see me. Oh, it's great. Uh, as I'm writing this in my phone, the prompt jumped to uh, speak at AA today, and it says, speak at AA, wear suit. I had to wear a suit today. <laughs> How'd, uh, how'd that work out for you? Dude, I had to go buy the suit yesterday. Isn't that wild? Like, I was so nervous about speaking at this meeting, I didn't want to wear an ill-fitting suit. So I bought a new suit yesterday to wear to the meeting. Bet you looked pretty fly. What's that? I bet you looked pretty fly. I did, for a white guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am so excited, man. I got my home group back tonight. It's not the first time that the men's meeting has been my home group, um, but I'm stoked about it. So your meeting is on Tuesdays. Where's it at? Uh, it is at that little church over on Sinaloa. 
Is it a little church or is it a big church? Uh, well, it's in one of the little rooms. It, it's the same one as the uh, as the Monday meeting. Oh, okay, but it's not in that same room. No, it's not in that big the the big room, whatever that is. It's around the back in the like the last door on the first floor. Oh, did I lead that meeting before, or did I lead a meeting in that room before? It's possible. There's another meeting there on Sunday. I feel like you used to have a commitment at that meeting, and you had me speak up there once. That is very possible. Ah, all right, all right. Well, it's always good to go back to my old stomping grounds. It's also fun to go to See Me Valley. We're pretty cool. <laughs> Someday I'll probably live there. I have a feeling. So I actually have a, uh, a little story about my home group. Uh, when I first moved out here, I started going to this meeting because I like men's meetings, and which was weird because when I, you know, when I first got here, I did not want to be in a men's meeting. There were no women there. Why? Why would I go? Um, but you know, now I enjoy them because I get to like talk about things that I'm not particularly comfortable talking about in a regular meeting. So masturbation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I, I can now go to meetings and talk about masturbation. Um, but so I started going to this meeting and there was this guy there and, you know, he's a little older than me and, and you could tell right away that he'd been in and out of the rooms, um, for a long freaking time. Like a lot of us are. And one of the old timers there was like giving this guy shit, man, like really giving him shit. And, uh, and the, you know, that guy ended up going out, right? Like he left that meeting that night and he went out and he relapsed and I had a resentment against that meeting forever. Uh, and I, you know, I had to get over that in order to take this commitment there. I didn't realize we were talking about the Tuesday night men's meeting in Simi Valley. Oh yeah. That is a long running, solid, fantastic meeting of narcotics anonymous. It's one of the first meetings I ever went to in Simi Valley and they got some heavy hitters in there. They do. How do you feel about, um, the guys expressing, uh, like giving someone a hard time, giving them some shit. I, you know, I think it's the way a lot of people show love. What do you mean? The people that give the newcomer shit, especially when, you know, they're in and out of the rooms and they're constantly relapsing and they're coming back and saying like, I tried everything and I did everything right, but I relapsed. The guys that are telling them the truth or the people that are telling them the truth and saying, dude, you're fucking up are the ones that actually love them. And that's their way of expressing love, is what I think. Okay, okay. Now, I agree with that on one level. On another level, I have another opinion of it. Because when someone is brand new, and I mean brand new, not like they've been around the rooms for a while, uh, unless they've never been sober before, they've never put together 30 days or 60 days or 90 days clean, um, but they've been coming around for a year and they every time they've come, they've taken a newcomer chip and they've, they've never been able to get a couple of days clean. Then we need to just give those people love. We can't tell them the truth, even if it's coming from a loving place. Like we kind of have to baby the newcomer because the disease that lives in our brains only wants one thing. It wants to get high again. That's all it wants. And so if someone's new and this disease is in their brain and someone says, hey, you keep fucking up, then the disease in the brain will send signals saying, you're never going to be good enough to get this. You might as well just go get loaded because they just reinforce the idea that you're never going to get this. 
And if they've never gotten it before, then they're going to believe that. I I definitely agree with that. And I, I honestly, I think both are important, right? Like I, I'm the kind of guy that is uh, sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. She's freaking out. Um, I'm the kind of guy that's just going to love you no matter what, right? Show up, don't show up, get loaded, come back, whatever. You know, I don't really care. Right. And, and th that's the thing. Like, I don't really care. Um, you know, I, I want you to get clean. I want you to stay clean, but I'm not that invested in it. And, you know, I think that it's important that there are people that are invested in your recovery and that do care and that do want what's best for you and are willing to tell you that. Now, I, I think there needs to be a balance there where you probably need more love than honesty when, you know, especially when you're new. Um, but I, I do think both are important. Now, something else I feel, and I'm going to tell you about it right now, the chronic relapsers. Well, me and you can relate to that. We both have relapsed a lot of times in our days. And uh, the chronic relapsers, sometimes it's important to just tell them the truth, even if it comes out harshly. I was in a meeting my first year, and we had this guy. <laughs> and this guy, it was, a, it was a rich people's meeting. I mean, that's not how they describe it in the directory, but I'm just telling you the truth. Some dude owned a house on the beach in Malibu. We sat out on the patio, and all the people that were there were either uh, in most pictures or music all like millionaires. And uh, I remember I just went there hoping someone would give me a job. Um, but I was sober. I had been sober for uh, going towards a year. And there was a guy that used to come in and he was really wealthy. He had spent over a million dollars at a Malibu treatment center, but he kept relapsing. And he came in and he had, he had a dual addiction of both uh, drugs and sex. And so we had uh, gotten rid of his smartphone and given him a flip phone because we didn't want him going on websites chasing hookers. But whenever he decided to go out, he would find a way to find the hookers. And he showed up at the meeting one morning and he was beat to shit. He looked, he looked sick from the drugs, but also he had some bruising from someone who kicked his ass. And he told us the story that he had, he had gotten a hooker in Hollywood and they had done a bunch of coke, and then her pimp came in and beat his ass, and he was left naked on the street in Hollywood, and he had to find a way to get someone to come pick him up. And this is probably the fifth time that year that we had seen him relapse like that. And this is a guy that would put together a month, two months, but then he would go back out. So um, we're at that meeting, and, and the guy that hosted the meeting was a really cool guy, smart good looking one of the guys that we kind of all looked up to and he, he looks at this uh this relapser and he says you're a dyer you're gonna die we've seen people like you before and those people die and we're worried because we love you and we don't want you to die but i'll ask the people here that know you do you think that he's gonna die and we all said yes and that's a really really harsh thing to say to somebody especially when they're hurting and they're sick but I think it worked, man. That dude stayed sober. Like the next time I saw him was in a meeting and he had a year clean. So sometimes the, the truth can be harsh, but it can also be life-saving. They say that honesty without compassion is cruelty. But when we're talking about A and NA and we're talking about um, saving people's lives, it's a delicate balance, man. And it's got to be an organic thing. And in that moment, it was right. Like we were hard on him and we were honest with him, but it worked. 
Yeah, and I, you know, we went through this even, um, where I respond better to to people kicking my ass, right? That that's what I'm used to. That's what I grew up with, and that's that's what I respond to. And I remember this this last fourth step that we did together when we were talking about um, or fifth step. Uh, when we were talking about how hard I am on myself and just how brutally honest you were with me and that, you know, that helped me grow so much. And like you said, honesty without compassion is cruelty. Um, but I think the people that, that are honest for, you know, because they care, I think that comes from a place of compassion and that's, you know, that's what, that's what counts. Well, our experience when working your steps, um, it just happens to be a character defect of yours uh, of being highly self-critical. You um, you tend to be your own harshest critic. And so there are times when I, I let you know that, and I know that it's pissed you off before. Uh, but if, if I talk to you the way that you talk to yourself, man, you would whip my ass. <laughs> well, that's just because I'm bigger and stronger than you. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I am a, I'm a, a 20-year professional wrestler. You could, you could bring it. I'm, I'm ready. All right, maybe, uh, maybe this is a, a thing we do at another time and not on the podcast. <laughs> yes, no, we're gonna, we're gonna do it live on pay-per-view. Kevin versus Jr. and a no holds barred, falls count anywhere match. And we'll see who the bigger man is. How about we just uh, put it on the website? I don't. I don't know that we're pay per view worthy. Oh, we're totally pay per view worthy. <laughs> this may only be our fourth podcast, but we're going to have hundreds, maybe thousands of these, sure. and people are going to know our names all the world round because we are sharing a life saving message. And this week, the message is about the home group. And why you got to get a home group and where you got to get a home group and how you got to get a home group. Man, there are people at my home group, and I'm talking about the one that I had for 10 years, the uh, the sharing from the heart, Saturday morning, 10 o'clock in Woodland Hills. There are people there that are just idiots, man. They are assholes. They get on your last nerve. Sometimes you sit in the meeting and they share and you're like, oh, shit, here we go again. But then that person comes in and they share that they're, they're going to the doctor for something. And you pray as hard as you can that that person's going to be okay. Because even though you don't have to love everybody, you know, or, well, you don't have to love everybody. That's true. Um, you still, if they're in your home group, man, if they're a home group member, you care. You don't want anything bad to happen to them. You want them to get sober and find a new way of life. They did it for you. The people in your home group prayed for you to get in there and stay clean and sober. So, you're going to do it for them, too. That is very true. I love the program, man. And, and this is important because a lot of people uh, in 2020 um, have a resistance or an ambivalence towards 12-step programs. So I need to keep reinforcing this idea. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to uh, even be in a 12-step program. The secret to staying sober that's found in the four-point plan is connection. You've got to connect to people, man. That's why I tell you to go to meetings every day to get a sponsor, a home group, and a commitment, because you've got to connect to people. If you sit at home by yourself and you just listen to nobody but you, you are listening to the last person who got you high. Don't listen to you. Your ideas probably ain't that good. 
I know people with 30 years clean whose ideas still aren't very good. I know one dude, he's got lung cancer and he smokes and he's been clean for like 30 years and he smokes with lung cancer. Clearly, his thinking sucks. He should ask his sponsor if he should quit smoking because I think the sponsor would say, hell yes, you better quit smoking. You have lung cancer, you lunatic. You know, I remember that guy, and uh, he was at a, a meeting that I considered my home group for a little while, and I remember we were at that meeting together, and, uh, oh, actually, I think that meeting's your home group now, uh, and I shared something, and then he shared right after me, and just, uh, you know, put down every single thing that I said, and uh, I remember being really upset with that. Oh, no, you weren't there. I called you, and, uh, you know, I was walking away from the meeting, and uh, you know, I was talking to you on the phone, and I was really upset about it, and he was, like, driving by with his windows down, and I was talking loud so he could hear me. And uh, I remember you're like, you know, I see that guy at a lot of meetings and it really changed my perspective on it. And, uh, you know, I love that guy and I, I hope he lives for, uh, you know, for well, for as long as he can smoking with stage four lung cancer. Yeah, dude, seriously, he's still alive. He's he's had stage four lung cancer for four years and he's been smoking all the time. And he's still alive. Has, he's got the kind of lung cancer. Apparently smoking doesn't kill you. Has it been that long? it's got to be close man it's been a long ass time like i know that he retired and he, he took off his money that he was going to go and die with and spend it all and he's still alive and poor planning for sure <laughs> yeah i'm sure he'll be fine yeah i love that guy too man he's awesome we are uh we are fortunate to live in the birthplace of narcotics anonymous there's a lot of good people here, a lot of solid recovery, a lot of, a lot of lengthy uh, recovery. Um, sometimes I wish we lived in Montana so that my 11 years clean would make me an old timer. <laughs> but I got friends with 30, 40 years clean, and uh, you know I'm still like a newcomer, which is cool um, because I have over a decade of doing the four-point plan and knowing that it works, man, and that's why I'm here, arrogant as it may seem, telling you, how to save your life. It's simple, man. Go to meetings. Go to meetings. Go to meetings. When you're at meetings, find someone that's going to help you. That's a sponsor. And make sure that you go to that one meeting. That's your home group. Make sure you do something. Make some coffee. Pass out literature. Set up chairs. Greet people at the door. Get a commitment. The four-point plan works, man. It's the bomb. It changed my life. I was... Uh, I was going to die in my addiction. There is no question about that. Kevin was going to die in his addiction or go to prison and commit suicide. So he would have died from his addiction. Uh, we are a couple, me and Kevin, the guys that do this podcast, we are a couple uh, all the way addicts of a desperate variety. We're the kind of people that don't make it, and we made it. We made it because of this plan, man. It's, I can't say enough good things about it. And I can't say enough about gratitude. It's Sunday morning. And when you're, when you're, uh, when you're in recovery, Sunday morning is the day that you express the most gratitude, man. Let me tell you about this meeting I spoke at today. <laughs> you don't go to enough AA, man. And you should, because sometimes it can be really good. Uh, they had donuts, they had eggs, they had bagels, they had coffee. There were probably a hundred to 150 people in the room. Oh, they recorded it, by the way, so I'm going to get a copy of the CD. I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, and when I was up there sharing, I had to be careful with my pronouns because it was an AA meeting, and I got 10 years of my sobriety was uh, accomplished in NA. 
So I have to be careful about the way I speak because in NA we say clean time and in AA we say sobriety. And in NA we uh, identify as an addict and in AA we identify as an alcoholic. <laughs> so I had to be careful about the way I talked, man, but I, I, I focused it. Uh, I accomplished my goal of speaking in the AA language and, and I talked about how when I came here, um, you guys said to me that we will love you until you learn to love yourself. I heard that at my home group, man. And it meant so much to me because I had spent my entire life believing that I was unlovable. I had had the programming pounded into my head from the day I was born that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't worthwhile and no one would ever love me. And I believed that until I got sober and until I got clean in NA. And so I went to my home group and all the people in there knew me and I had been going to that meeting for seven years while loaded. So I finally got sober and man, they celebrated me like crazy. They loved seeing me get each day clean and sober. And at the, on the day that I got a year clean, my home group threw a birthday party for me. Two members who were married who had a house opened up their home and invited everybody. And there were a hundred people in this guy's house and in his backyard celebrating my one year sober, one year clean. And they, uh, they had a cookout. My sponsor and my girlfriend, uh, put together the money and bought a bunch of food and they had a cookout and then they brought out a birthday cake and on this birthday cake they had a makeshift wrestling ring with a Hulk Hogan action figure and a Jimmy Superfly Snooker action figure and on it was written happy one year champ and at that time I hadn't wrestled in eight years and I never believed I'd wrestle again and I saw that wrestling ring birthday cake and I couldn't believe it, man. I was overjoyed. I was thrilled. I think I even cried. I was so happy. And all my home group members were there singing happy birthday to me and, and loving me. And if you believe your whole life that you're unlovable and then all these people go out of their way just to celebrate you, it might change your opinion of, of you. It might change your belief that no one loves you. And at that point, there was no question in my mind. I was loved, man. And I was—I knew I was loved because of my home group members getting together for me. Yeah, my uh, my first home group was, it was this meeting in East L.A. on Huntington and, oh, I forget the cross street. It's not too far from Lincoln Park. Um, it was a little bit east of uh, Lincoln Park. It's like on that street that you turn up to go to Highland Highland Park. Anyway. Um, it was this meeting and that's actually where I met my first sponsor, uh, this tiny little meeting at a, at a BHS upstairs. And I don't think I still talked to a single person from that meeting, but then after I moved and actually a lot of them, uh, most of them aren't around anymore. I think there's one guy that I still know that, that I talked to him once in a while that he is, uh, but most of them aren't. Um, and then there's this other meeting after I moved in Pasadena and it was a men's meeting kind of sort of we let anybody in because it was a real small meeting and you know somebody showed up and you know whatever and a lot of times uh, like kids would show up like with their moms and stuff and uh that was a really cool meeting and i still talked to two of the people from that meeting and like we were super close when i was going there we you know we kind of live far now and i you know i ask him to come out and lead or whatever once in a while but um but yeah, I, I remember like th those were really the first friends that I made in NA. And actually, 
going way back to like 2006 uh, when I first started going to meetings, um, there was this guy Manny that I got, you know got really close with. We we both relapsed, and I don't know if he came back or not. Um, but we you know he used to like drive me to court and stuff, and uh, you know I, I didn't have a friend that would fucking drive me to court when I first started trying to get clean. And most of the time I was loaded, right? Like I was going to meetings, but I was still loaded. And this guy, you know, this, he, we were both newcomers. He still would pick me up in his little S10 or uh, little Ford Ranger or whatever it was, some tiny little pickup truck. And uh, and would take me to court and sit in court with me. And then, you know, he'd drive me home, it, assuming they let me go. See, that's crazy, man. We show up with no friends and we make friends. That's what the four-point plan does, man. It gets you friends. You get to connect to people. I love the fact that your first home group was over by Lincoln Park uh, in East L.A. Just uh, for all you people that are listening outside of the area, that is a crazy neighborhood. That is not the safest neighborhood. I would be scared to buy drugs in that neighborhood. When I was buying drugs, I wasn't scared of nothing. I would walk straight into Compton at 2 in the morning by myself, not afraid. But uh, where your home group was, <laughs> yeah, that shit would scare me. We actually, so I went to a treatment center that was right across the street from Lincoln Park, and uh, we would go, there's meetings at Lincoln Park, and half of that park is uh, Big Hazard, and the other half is Lincoln Heights. And, you know, there were, on a couple occasions, there were, like, fights that would break out between, you know, between the different gang members trying to get clean. And it was, it, you know, it was definitely, I, I'd say it was a good experience getting clean because now I go to meetings like uh, we have this meeting over here that's uh, it's a little rough. Actually, it's over by you. And that doesn't bother me. Like, people are, like, yelling at each other and there's, like, custody, dis- custody disputes and stuff like that. But, like, nobody's getting hurt, so it's not that bad. <laughs> Dude, my home group, um, the men's meeting, the one that I go to now, uh, when it started 30 years ago, maybe more than 30 years ago, one of the very first times they had a meeting there, someone got punched outside the meeting. And when they got punched, they collapsed and they hit their head and they died. So my home group is the site of a murder. <laughs> I feel like Lincoln Park might be as well. Oh, yeah. Well, no, there's no question. There are lots of murders. There's a lake there. And if you go in there, there are bodies. You know, I've always heard that. I, I don't know that, uh, that it's true or not. Dude, seriously, you can't get a pedal boat in that lake because the pedals will get strung up with body parts. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. And actually, you know, that's a really nice park now. I went back there not too long ago, and, um, you know, there's, like, a lot of art, and uh, and it, it's it's beautiful. Like, they, they really take, take care of that place. What's that park down there on Wilshire? Not Griffith Park. There's another park down there. MacArthur Park. Uh-huh. MacArthur Park. They have found lots of dead bodies in their water. Lots of them. People get killed. And they have, they have pedal boats. Pedal boats in a, in a lake filled with dead bodies. When I was uh, 16 years old, we went to MacArthur Park to buy fake IDs because that was the place to get them. And, you know, we had to drive. It was like, well, it was like 30 minutes to get there at the time. Um, and I watched this kid, probably about 12 years old, beat the shit out of a grown-ass man. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I belong here. <laughs> this kid is tougher than me. What's crazy is there's like a skate park there. Or like a block away, there's a skate park. Skateboarders, cool, very cool. We love skateboarders. We skateboarder. I skateboard. Kevin skateboarded. Love skateboarders. Not tough enough to be hanging out in MacArthur Park, I'm telling you. 
That is gang central. Now it's also a uh, tent city. They have like a whole campground basically uh, on the sidewalk surrounding that park. Um, dude, I just feel like walking down there and you catch hepatitis in the air. You know, I feel really guilty about thinking things like that all the time. Like I, I went to, uh, it was this ugly Christmas sweater party that my girlfriend wanted to go to in Hollywood. And we, you know, I mean, Hollywood, there's a lot of homeless people. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable in one of the areas. And, you know, that that's just how much things have changed since I got clean. Like, you know, changed in me. Like, I, I felt uncomfortable around a group of homeless people when I was one of those homeless people. You know, I, I looked just like they did. I acted just like they did. I was, like, randomly screaming at people just like they were. And, uh, and for me to now feel like... Uh, I don't know. It, it makes me uncomfortable, and then it, it gets me feeling a little bit guilty. You bastard. How dare you? You used to be one of those people. As a matter of fact, you kind of still are. I mean, you have a great job. You make money. You got a nice place to live. You drive a fucking bitching car. Uh, but still, you like to go camping. You like to go sleep outside. I, I used to yell at you when I sponsored you. say, why are you sleeping outside? You're not homeless no more. You have a bed. Go sleep in your bed. And my favorite one, Kevin goes camping one time and he comes back and he's got a rash. How <laughs> much rash? He's got a rash. And I said, Where did you get a rash? He said, I think it's the sand mites. Said, what the fuck are sand mites? He's like, It's mites that live in the sand. That we were sleeping on the sand and the mites climbed on me and bit me. <laughs> I said, Why? You have a home. You have a bed. There's no sand mites in your bed. Don't sleep outside. Do you have any idea how many fish I caught that trip? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know how many sand mite bites you caught that trip? A lot, but I also caught like 25 fish. <laughs> you had like 100 bites. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Whatever, man. Like, we're not, we're not homeless anymore. We don't have to feel bad. Um, you and I, we're the exceptions to the rule, brother. People like us don't get clean and sober, but we did. And we don't have to be homeless anymore. We don't have to be strung out anymore. We don't have to be crazy anymore. We get to live the life that we used to envy when we saw it in others. I used to sleep outside of this bank in Santa Monica at Fourth and Wilshire. And it was diagonally across the street from P.F. Chang's. And at the time, I was 30 years old. Okay, so here I am, 30 years old. I'm homeless. I'm worthless. I can't do anything right. I'm strung out on drugs. And I would sleep outside this place. And I would lay on this concrete block with a, a sleeping bag pulled up. And it would be at nighttime around 10, 11 o'clock. And I would see the people who were eating at P.F. Chang's coming out and walking to their cars and they would walk by me and they'd be dressed nice and they'd be laughing and they would get into their new cars and I would cover my head in shame. I would pull my sleeping bag up over my head because I was ashamed of the fact that I was the same age, if not even older than these people who were successful. And I was such a fucking failure, man. And I hated the way it felt. And I wanted so much to be them and to live their life. And you know what? That is my life now. I drive a new car. I eat in nice restaurants. I wear nice clothes. I have the life that I dreamed of that I could never get before because I could never stop drinking and using. I think you I, forgot now, about Hawaii. 
Oh, yeah, well, we'll get there for sure. We'll get there. We'll get there for good. Um, when I got sober, they said you'll find a life beyond your wildest dreams. And beyond my wildest dreams wasn't that extreme. Like, I didn't think, oh, I dream of millions of dollars and, and, and private yachts and all that shit. I wanted crazy things like an electric bill in my name. Or uh, I wanted to sign a lease because up till that point, I got claimed when I was 37 years old, up to that point, I had never had my name on a lease. I had always been on her lease or someone else's couch or I had, I'd never had anything of my own. And I remember Josh used to say, if you stay sober, you too one day will have bills. And I know it sounds silly, man, but I would sit quietly in that meeting and I would hear him say that and I would think, I want that. I want to have bills. I haven't had bills before because I've never lived life like a normal human being. And I learned how to do that by going to meetings, man, by being in there with the people that love me and they taught me. When I got my first apartment by myself, uh, members of my home group came to my house and brought me a bed, brought me a futon, brought me a couch, brought me a TV, brought me dishes, brought me silverware, bought me blankets. I, I didn't have to buy anything. Everybody gave me stuff because they loved me and they wanted to see me accomplish my dreams. And sure enough, the first place I ran by myself was just a little like a guest room with a little tiny bathroom. And it was full, man. People came and filled that thing up. And, and I couldn't believe it. It was so exciting. I remember my first cell phone, man. The first cell phone that I put in my name. It was a Boost mobile phone, and I was at a Radio Shack. That's how old it was. I was at a Radio Shack, and I was there with my friend. And they're like, okay, you can have this phone and service for this phone for $50. And I was so nervous. I was like, $50? That's a lot of money. Anything over $20 was more than I was willing to spend on anything. And I thought, $50? If I spend $50 on this phone, you know how much heroin I can get for $50? I can get $50 worth of heroin. So I was scared. And my friend was there and he said, listen, JR, I understand. I understand that this is a commitment that, that you would actually have to have a phone for 30 days. If you do this, listen, I want you to go ahead and spend $50, get the phone. And in 30 days, if you don't like having a phone, you don't have to, you don't have to renew it. It's no contract. It's month to month. So it's only a 30-day commitment. If you don't want to have, have a phone anymore, you don't have to have a phone. And it was pretty damn funny. They taught me how to get a phone, man. They taught me how to get an apartment. They filled it up. They taught me how to love myself. Like, I had nothing before I got clean and sober. And everything that I have now is a result of getting clean and sober and, and having my, my people who love me, the people of my home group, my sponsor, my friends, uh, they loved me and they taught me how to live this life that I never dreamed of. And yeah, Kevin mentioned Hawaii. Um, I've gone to Hawaii for five or six years in a row. Uh, I love it. It's, it's not a life that I planned or expected, uh, but it is so rewarding and fulfilling. And I'm so excited about what I get to do today, man. I'm in school at Pepperdine. I'm in grad school. I'm going to get a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And when that's done, I might keep going to school. Eventually I will be a doctor because 
these are the dreams, man. They're happening. I didn't dream them. They're beyond my wildest dreams. I'm, I'm living a life that I never thought was possible. You know, I remember renting my first place. I made, I made, let's see, I made about 280 bucks a week and it was 600 bucks a month. And I, I think I talked about this in our last podcast, actually, maybe the one before. Um, and I was fucking terrified. Like, how am I ever going to be able to afford this? Like, I got I got to pay for gas and I got to buy food. And like, the, you know, this is half of my paycheck. Like, how am I ever going to do this? Everyone says that my rent should be a quarter of my paycheck. Well, I live in California. And like, even if I made enough for rent to be a quarter of my paycheck, California taxes the shit out of everybody, including the poor. Right. Like I was dirt poor and like 30 percent of my paycheck was going to California. And th- I was like terrified of this. Um and, uh, you know, I, I, someone in the program talked me through it and I, you know, I rented the place and it worked out and, and I did fine. And I, and I learned how to do that. Right. Like I learned how to pay a bill, especially a big bill like that. That's more than 50% of my income. But so worth it, man. So worth it because now you're not a homeless person. Now you're not hating, uh, the details and the circumstances of your life so much that it beats your self-esteem down so far that you have to get loaded. Like that's what causes us to use, man. We hate ourselves and we hate our lives and we get high so we don't have to actually experience the feelings that are associated with living life. Now we get sober and we stay sober. And yeah, sometimes things hurt, uh, but we lean on our friends and we get through them. And other times things are awesome. And when you're using, like we used, things were never awesome. Wow, Kevin just got a new $50 bag worth of crystal meth. Is his life awesome? No, his life fucking sucks because now he's strung out crystal meth. Fuck that, man. What's cooler? Kevin's driving a big-ass fucking white Jeep. It is a sexy car. Every time I see your car, I want to beat off. It's so fucking sexy. And uh, he would have never had that shit if he was still using That is very true. And I'm actually talking to my girlfriend about my Jeep right now. I need to take the roof off of it because she found a couch she wants, and I need to go pick that up after this. <laughs> Wait. So you're going to take your badass Jeep and you're going to go get a new couch. Yes, put that it is in true. Jeep. Huh? Yes, that is what I'm going to do. Wait, is this a couch that you found sitting on the side of the road behind someone's apartment that they threw out? No, actually, this is a free couch that her neighbor is giving away. Oh, what's a free couch? I have a couch I bought and it sucks ass. I spent money on it, hundreds of dollars, and every day I fucking hate it. So I'm going to buy a new couch. It's just a... Uh, I'm saving up for Hawaii right now. That's kind of where we're at. The couch I have freaking sucks. I spent way too much money on it, and it is terrible. So her neighbor's giving away this couch. She walked over and sat on it, and she's like, you know, I think I'm going to take this. And, you know, the she lives in, like, a nice area, and, you know, they clean it, like, every six months. And uh, pretty stoked about this, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've got to tell something uh, to the, our audience that they can't see uh, because it's a visual thing, but I can see it because Kevin and I are speaking on Skype with the video option. So I could see Kevin over there with his wild beard and it's crazy mic stand. But behind Kevin, he has a package of toilet paper and a package of paper towels from Costco. And me and Kevin both had the experience of joining Costco in sobriety. Before sobriety, I never would have joined Costco. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't have a house to put bulk items in. And when I finally joined Costco, it was a big deal. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to spend 50 or or $100 for a year membership to this crazy place where you can get giant packages of toilet paper. And I told Kevin about it. 
<laughs> I was so excited about it and humbled by it. And he thought, that sounds pretty fucking cool. And then he went and got it too. He just he just flashed his Costco card at me. I know it sounds silly, folks, but when you're a drug addict and you sleep outside and you yell at random strangers and you hide your face because you're ashamed of yourself, you don't go to Costco for toilet paper. You use public restrooms and you use their toilet paper, and it's not even soft toilet paper. It's terrible toilet paper. You live your life in someone else's bathroom with terrible toilet paper. When you get sober... You get a Costco membership and you get lots and lots of toilet paper and it's yours and you put it in your bathroom. And I know all this shit sounds ridiculous and silly to a normal person, but to an addict, to an alcoholic, someone who lived like we lived, these are big things. Joining Costco is a big thing. Buying a car is a big thing. Going on a vacation is a big thing. Normal people, they know what this feels like. People who are trapped in addiction do not know what this feels like. And so we're here to tell you about it, man. There's there's a way that we found to get these things. It's called the four-point plan. You know, not only, not only am I a Costco member, I'm an executive member. Ooh, you're an executive. <laughs> I was an executive member, and then I went to the normal membership because it's cheaper, and I just used Costco to buy toilet paper and paper towels. So what the hell? <laughs> Let me tell you again. The four-point plan, 90 meetings in 90 days. Go to a meeting every day. You're going to like it so much that when the 90 days is over, you're going to keep going to meetings every day because it's like going to a party every day filled with people who love you, including hopefully at least once a week you're at a meeting with your sponsor. Your sponsor is part two of this. It's the person that teaches you how to get sober and stay sober. And then get a home group where there's a group of people that you see every week at the same meeting and they all love you or at least they kind of love you. And then get your uh, commitment because you can only keep what you have by giving it away. That means you gotta give some energy and some time to keep the meetings open to help the newcomer. When you're an addict, all you care about is yourself. The joy, the spiritual awakening, the gift of recovery is learning how to help other people too. Kevin and I are doing this podcast. We don't get paid for it, but we're doing it hopefully to help other people. We have commitments and meetings. We don't get paid for them, but we do it to help other people. Not everything is about my trips to Hawaii. A lot of what I'm doing is about carrying a message to some guy who thinks that, man, I'll never be able to stop using. I'll never be able to get a car. I'll never be able to get a place to live. And we're telling you, yes, you can. Follow the four-point plan, and you can get the things that you dream of. 90 and 90, sponsor, home group, commitment. Go to the website and check it out. Fourpointplan.com. Don't put the number four, write the word four. F-O-U-R-P-O-I-N-T.com. Fourpointplan.com. Fourpointplan.com. Go check out the website. Find our other podcasts. We're going to keep making them. Kevin's going to post a couple new ones up there today, including this one for Groundhog's Day. It's going to be so good that you can listen to it every day because it's the Groundhog's Day edition of the Four Point Plan where we talked about home groups. My home group is Wednesday at 7. I'm going to be there. Where's your home group, Kevin? My home group is Tuesday at 7, and I will also be there. If I'm not there, the door doesn't get open. That's bitching, man. That's We are we are home group members. We are recovering addicts and alcoholics. We are people who are living a life beyond their wildest dreams, and we want to help you. You know, I don't think we talked enough about Groundhogs today. Well, here's what I want you to do, Kevin. It turns out 
Kevin has never seen the movie Groundhog Day. So even though it's also Super Bowl Sunday, I told Kevin before he watches the Super Bowl, it's more important that he watches this Bill Murray classic film about Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney Phil. So watch that movie today, brother. After you pick up your couch with your badass Jeep, watch Groundhog Day. Love it. Enjoy it. Do some work on the podcast. I will put it up on the website later today. And, man, I love this. I'm so glad that we get to do this, and I want to keep doing it forever. Any uh, any final thoughts? I think that was them, man. I love you all. Uh, get a sponsor, Home Group Commitment, and uh, go to meetings every day.